My name is Bond. James Bond. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Well, there were two James Bonds in a row there. We had Sean Connery, we had Roger Moore, and I'm the legendary Burl Bear. I look it up like Timothy Dalton. But a friend of mine's daughter saw a Timothy Dalton James Bond movie and said, You didn't tell me Uncle Burl was the new James Bond. Didn't want to break her heart. I am the legendary Burl Bear, our fact checker over there, Mark C.G. Boyer. This is True Crime Uncensored, produced by Magic Matt Allen. He does magic tricks on the radio. Spectacular. Yeah, boy, they look good, too. They're so convincing. <laughs> I like the one with the boomerang the best. <laughs> Today, we're going to discuss some of the little-known facts about being a criminal. By having a real criminal on the program. No, not just Mark, not just me, not just Matt. No, we have a famous criminal. Thanks to our famous criminal there, Matt. Punch, hello. Hiya. He reformed before the criminal part. I'm fine with it. Yeah, well, you could say you were orthodox, but uh, you're not that wacko. Hey, uh, for those of you who don't know our, our guest today, uh, Punch, uh, it was Pavle, it was Paul Stanimirovich. The number two most, uh, what would you call it, uh, most accomplished uh, gentleman thief, diamond thief, gold heist master uh, in the history of the universe. Second greatest, his father being the greatest because his father never got caught. <laughs> got away with everything. You, however, got caught uh, more than once. Yeah, but still, but still, I could, I could still be number one. You I could mean, be. Yeah, I guess yeah, you could. I mean, I'm the number one. I'm the number one that got caught. Yes, there you go. And, ah, and probably the, the youngest fellow ever to participate in the greatest mega heist in the history of America, over $1 billion in gold, diamonds, precious gems. Both are about 1993, when uh, you, and your, uh, you and your dad decided to hit 10 jewelry manufacturing firms in a row. Bam, 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 bam. All insured for $100 million or more. Am I correct? Uh, no comment. I can't talk about that. I'm on the contract. But uh, <laughs> it's nice that you mentioned it. You know, if, if that's what's uh, written in the book or whatever, then uh, hey, I'm uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to uh, to read that part also because that's very exciting. Yes, it is very exciting. <laughs> you know, to find out. Yeah, to find but, out. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, that's some uh, that's some exceptional stuff that you're uh, talking about there. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, it is. Stealing Manhattan coming uh, soon. I hope soon. Coming soon. There you go. Coming yeah, we, soon. Yeah, not sure who, yeah. who's uh, who's yet. The publishers are biting their nails over who's going to get it. Uh, but what I can talk about is uh, I can talk a little bit about you know my past and uh, what made me love being a criminal so much. You know, getting older. Uh, and uh, what separate uh, made me different from the other uh, the other uh, criminals. Late criminals? Yeah, well, yeah you, that's what you want to call them. Yeah, well, you know, there's gangsters, and they were in gangs, but you weren't in a gang. Yeah. You were a lot of confused people. A lot of confused people. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, you know what? If I had the power of the gang, uh, you know, I would know what to do with the power. Uh, you know, just that's why they don't put power in, in just anybody's hand. You know, what I learned from uh, from from growing up and from being on the streets of New York uh, was, you know, I was self-educated uh, in the criminal world because I had two eyes and I had one mouth, and I learned that uh, if I keep my mouth closed and my eyes open and my ears open, I can learn a lot, and and that's. And that's exactly uh, what I did. I learned. I listened and learned. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I wasn't supposed to uh, get caught, you know, by the authorities. You know, that wasn't in my plans. No, I didn't think know? so. <laughs> yeah, of course not. That, that, that was not in my plans. But once I started, uh, you know, uh, receiving that treatment of being arrested, and uh, complimenting Rikers Island, you know, being a member, you know, of uh, of that prestigious uh, uh, crew yeah. of, uh, of of guys. I don't know how many how many are left, but uh, the early Rikers Island, the one that I frequented, 
was, oh, that's a horror show. That, yeah, it was a little alone, overpopulated from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, that alone, like, yeah, they had, uh, like, 30,000 guys on a, on, a, on a place that's built for maybe 10,000, 12,000 people, you know. So it's, it was overpopulated. It was a massive island uh, that used to be rat-infested, uh, and it was like a garbage dump, and they built this prison. Yeah, not one prison. They built um, numerous, comp- I don't know, 12, 13, 14 complexes, 15 complexes, huge and uh, you know I guess they had an agenda they had an agenda you know a political agenda because if you're building you know a, a massive prison uh, system that could uh, you know that has you know anywhere from you know 10 to 20 30,000 uh, inmates right convicts I mean that's that, that's that was extraordinary so um, I don't know if they shut it down I'm not sure I know they they wanted to um, they, yeah, they it was a, a process, a gradual process of, of a reduction yeah. of, of uh, how many people they locked up there. Reminds me, Timothy Leary, uh, before yeah. he became uh, famous or infamous with his LSD experiments, etc., was working in the field of uh, uh, prison reform and uh, uh-huh. reducing recidivism. And he and okay. his uh, psych- uh, psychologist buddies came up with a plan of counseling mm-hmm. prisoners so that they didn't keep coming back, right? Recidivism, yeah, recidivism. Yeah, right? and so he went to the warden, and he laid out to the warden how successful their pilot program was of reducing mm-hmm. recidivism. And the, the mm-hmm. warden says, let me show you something. And he takes him and he shows him the plans for the new prison, which is going to mm-hmm. be bigger, mm-hmm. much yeah. bigger prison. Lock <laughs> up even more people, hire more people, yeah. more guards, more everything. He says, this Hard business around. is based yeah. on repeat customers. He says, we want him coming back. And you know what? The first step in recognition for people to recognize that this is just a business. And when they turned it over to a private hand, I think they did that with the federal prisons at one time, and I'm sure they're still doing it. But, uh, you know, once it goes private, then you have institutions that are ran like slave camps, you know, because... You know, there you go. There's no, uh, you know, uh, there's no... No incentive to keep them from going to reform them. Yeah, but it's a tremendous business, and I was caught up in this system for 21 years for the listeners that uh, might not know this, these facts. 21 years, I was, uh, I was locked up in the system, in a, in a broken, in an extremely broken system. And, uh, of course, I wanted to uh, continue uh, my career, and I was always looking for uh, criminals such as myself, you know, and uh, guys that can do things. You know, like, you know, guys that want to do things, uh, the things that I was doing, which were, were high-end, uh, high-volume jewelry, uh, you know, diamond district uh, robberies and, and, uh, and burglaries and stuff like that. So I was always looking, you know, for a challenge or for more, you know, and to grow my campaign, obviously, mm-hmm. because I was a criminal. And, uh, you know, I was successful at it. I was extremely successful. Um, so the prison stuff really never bothered me. Uh, I, I don't know if it was in my DNA, but I, I knew how to uh, act accordingly, you know, from having those two eyeballs, right, mm-hmm. in the two years that, I, that, that uh, God blessed me with. And, and thank, thanks for that. And also thanks for all the, the friends that my father had that trained me and, and showed me the ropes. You know, and I knew that prison was not the place for me. You know, but there was, there was, uh, you know, uh, there was, there was a part that, you know, I needed to know that I could get arrested for doing the things that I was doing. Well, yes, of course, that's the risk you take doing them. That's the risk. But, you know, when you're flying high up to the sky, close to the sun, and you have feathers uh, and they're stuck in, in wax, you know, you know what? You know the story, right? Icarus. You know, of, uh, what is that? Icarus. Icarus. Is that the story? Yeah. yeah. Right. He flew too high, <laughs> too high, uh, and he, he melted his wings and he fell back down to the sky. And that's exactly that's my last story. There you go. Because you uh, could have you so could have escaped from prison any time you wanted to. Any time I wanted, I could have got out of jail. That's 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 factual. Any time I wanted, and I had multiple, I had multiple. Uh, and different routes of me getting out of prison. 
I mean, I could have done it through, uh, like, you know, having somebody die in the family. You know, I could have done it that way. Because, remember, I was so, uh, you know, like, interwoven with guys from the streets that were with the mob. And these mobsters had a lot of pull, meaning they had uh, funeral homes. You know, they had cops in the job. They had fam- I mean, it was, it was tremendous. You know, the connections that I had. Listen, I had passports. I had passports. And I was traveling all around the world on other names. And there you go. You know, and, uh, and I was breezing by customs like you won't believe. I mean, I had uh, some names had a doctor in front of the name. All right? So, you know. Uh, and it's very easy to, you know, back then to uh, clone an ID, you know, and, and credit cards. And, 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 you know, I was a master at doing that stuff because that's also, uh, well, I used to think that that was uh, one of those crimes that were, uh, what is it, bro? Victimless. That were, uh, yeah, but I, I, fi- I finally found out that because it happened to me, <laughs> you know, and it, it's not so victimless, you know, it's, it's a pain in the ass and it could actually alter your life and it's just, I don't wish it upon anyone, you know, so uh, uh, ID theft and all that, you know, I actually perfected it because I was, uh, boy, the stuff that I used to do, man, when I used to go shopping, I used to take trucks, man, you know, like U-Haul trucks, I used to have to rent the big U-Haul trucks to put all the merchandise that I'm buying, you know, from, uh, and uh, from, this is the time that, when after I came out of prison the first time, and I just had a, a lot of new connections that were making credit cards and, and checks and uh, licenses, you know, right, directly from the DMV, you know? And the connections that I had, I mean, you could have did, you could have did anything with that. And you remember INPay? Yeah. Mr. INPay? Well, there you go, I am INPay. And that alone right there is a beautiful story. Uh, I don't know if we're ever going to get to it because we have so much content already, you know. And uh, But I think the best thing, I mean, I wish Howard was still alive, man. He was going to get us on all the talk shows before it even happened because the silver lining of all this is tremendous. And, uh, you know, I wanted to include my partner, Sean Sullivan from Layer Cake, New York. And, uh, you know, that guy right there is a, is a, is a cosmic genius, man. I mean... You know, so I thank him for uh, for this breath of uh, fresh air and and uh, life, man. You know, because as I said, I don't have many friends today because they're all gone, unfortunately. You know, well, yeah, time is still here. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, I have a few left. I have a few left, but uh, in supreme positions. You know, I don't have too many friends in supreme positions, and that's exactly what we need. So, you know, I'm just grateful to uh, be alive today and not inside prison, not locked up, you know, uh, for a nonviolent crime. Hey, I got a question for you. Uh, You were filming a documentary. You were back in New York City going to the Diamond District and pointing out, you know, all the great places you were, the great places you robbed. And didn't you bump into one of your old compatriots there on the street? Yeah, maybe I can, yeah, I could say that. Sure, yes, I did. I bumped into a very very good uh, friend of, uh, of, of mine and, and of the family. And, uh, yeah, yeah, actually I did. And, and that was just, um, that was just aligned, right, with, uh, as I said, the cosmic universe brought that to me, this person to me, and we just bumped into each other. And it was an emotional meeting because I haven't seen this person uh, since, you know, I went to prison and came out. So it's been a long time. And this person was uh, detrimental in my life because he's the guy that taught me how to really open the TL40s and 45s, you know, the safes that were uh, insured for millions of dollars. Like, this is the guy, man. So I'm grateful to have met this kind soul, all right? Mm. And, uh, you know, he's a kind soul because, as I said, he, he would never harm anyone, you know, and his intellect was far beyond anyone else's. And, uh, you know, he just... Uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm really surprised when I look back at the people, the quality of the people that were involved, you know, uh, with, with our group. That's, that's the only thing. I'm, I'm like, I'm surprised. Because today, right, let's say, well, even though statute of limitations passed and all that, but let's say today, if, uh, hypothetically speaking, let's say if, uh, if, if, if something happened, whatever, and we would all be in trial or something like that, I don't think a jury would find anyone guilty. You know what I mean? Because 
of who they are and what kind of people they are. And, and you know, these are people that help out other people. And, and they're just good people, man, you know. I'm, I'm talking about the core, you yeah. know, the, the core of the, of the family, you know. And, and, and I just love that because, as I said, I wouldn't hurt a, a, an ant. You know, well, I think that's the, that's the big difference that, that makes it so appealing. And it was uh, in the movie The Catch a Thief with Cary Grant, where he plays oh, a, a diamond yeah. thief. What? And what he talks about too. that. No one gets hurt, you know. No, uh, uh, no, that's Mr. Stan right there, yeah. And these are the last gentlemen thieves, you know. And I'm so glad that I got to meet these guys. And I'm so glad that I was part of them because, you know, being the youngest guy, you know, around the coffee boy, you know. Thank God I wasn't the shoeshine boy, but... You know, I used to make a, a hell of a good coffee, and uh, these guys needed to stay up for hours, you know, and uh, that was my job, and I could get paid in gold points, in gold chains, and in cool watches and stuff like that. So, as I said, I had my collection, I was building my collection when I was, uh, you know, six, seven years old, right? But before that, uh, this is another thing we probably are not going to get to, so I always like to talk about Joan Crawford, you know, our, our screen legend. Uh, and uh, and how I was stashed at her apartment. You know, or I used to go, you know, back and forth from Mr. and Mrs. Taylor's apartment to uh, Joan Crawford's apartment. And at that time, her husband, that was the president of uh, Pepsi, he died. You know, but you know what? Remind me, this, uh, I'm looking at a box, at an old Pepsi box from like 1950-something. Yeah. That's what reminded me of the story. Yeah, and that came from our apartment, basically. It came with some books and stuff like that, and I was supposed to get the dog. Princess. Yeah, mom, that's that's in the book, ladies mom. and gentlemen. When you get the book, you'll get the whole story about Joan Crawford and Punch's oh, yeah, birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so yeah, we can't talk about that. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Well, no, you can talk about it all you want. Oh, we can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I was about to get Princess. You know, uh, this was a beautiful, uh, like a Shih Tzu, black and white Shih Tzu, and it was a younger dog, the newer dog, because there was I don't know, there was five, six, seven. I don't know, there was a bunch of old dogs you know, yellow box and, and uh, ready to go. Like, they were, they were out. They were already, like, you know, they were, they were ancient. They couldn't, uh, ancient dogs. Know, well. Yeah. So this was a, an exciting dog. It was young, motivated, and it had its own uh, furniture and bedroom. And, and Joan Crawford absolutely loved this dog. Like, unbelievable. And she absolutely adored me also. You know, and uh, a thing that I remember is that she used to put me in these itchy, and these real itchy wool navy outfits, you know, that used to make me itch. Yeah, and, wool, yeah. Uh, yeah, made out of wool, yeah, man. I don't know if it was the starch or something, but, you know, and I used to hate it, man. I used to hate when they used to uh, style my hair or uh, pinch my cheeks or whatever. Any of that. <laughs> like, I used to just, you know, I was a little adult. I felt like I was a, a little adult because of the conversations that I used to witness, you know, in front of my father. Basically, used to take me everywhere. You know, I mean, come on, the guy puts me on the lap when I'm five years old to drive. You know, yeah. And uh, I don't know if he if he had one too many, but <laughs> well, when you were twelve <laughs> years old, you used to drive him home. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I was a chauffeur from Panarella. Yeah, yeah. I was I was a chauffeur from Panarella, driving to Long Island. It's like forty minutes, forty five minutes. You know, uh, real funny. You know, I remember driving to Fleetwood. Cadillac, you know, back uh, back home, and uh, my father would be in the passenger seat, just like semi semi observant, you know, like with one eye, you know. And, You're uh, lucky the cops never you know, pulled you over for a twelve year old kid driving never, a Cadillac Fleetwood. Never, never, never. And I'm sure if he did, my father had a whole wallet full of PBA cards, you know, that you know cops from that that belong, you know, that were friends with mobsters and stuff like that. That was a big thing out on Long Island. And I don't remember what exit we were, but it was North Babylon. Exit 45, I forgot the exit, but uh, it was North Babylon. And, uh, you know, we had property in Linda Hearst. We had property in Dix Hills. Uh, I remember going to see the psychiatrist, or psychologist or psychiatrist in Dix Hills. It was right, by, right, right around the corner from my house. And we moved, we moved because it was so close to our house. We were like, fuck this shit. And my father bought another house somewhere else. And, uh, and this was like an affluent neighborhood in Long Island, you know, it was really nice. So uh, it, it was just, you know, like it was fantastic growing up. You had the park there, Belmont Park. And then I remember 
uh, you know, I was in the Weeblos, like the Boy Scouts. Yeah, that was but just I got what out I was of it before the I Boy felt Scouts. Like some kind of some kind of shitty stuff is going on, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't like the way they were. They wanted to measure me for my outfits and stuff like that, so I just never came back, and <laughs> and uh, other other things. But uh, Long Island was a beautiful place, and that's when I started running away, you know, because I was getting uh, beat. <laughs> you know, I was getting I was getting my hand my ass handed down to me, you know, uh, a lot. So, um, you know, coming home late, uh, for not, you know, being needing, you know, like my school, my school books weren't neat or something like that, something stupid. And uh, I remember my father coming in three, four o'clock in the morning after Panarellas and he used to ask me five times six, seven times eight. He used to make me up with times tables and shit. Uh. I mean, I still get post-traumatic stress. But <laughs> one thing before I forget, because I know we don't have too much time. We only have an hour, right? No, we'll have uh, plenty of time. Jag- we'll keep going. Uh, yeah, Jagger, 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 Colt, C-O-U or U-O-L-T-R-E, Colt, French word, Jagger, Jagger. This is a watch company, and I remember it because I was looking at some Internet stuff. I think uh, this morning or yesterday, and the alarm, uh, they had the alarm because they never changed their alarm since they owned the company. Since the company's been out, they always had the same alarm. And my father had this watch, a Tribulon, and uh, it was extremely expensive. It was probably like only one, maybe, I don't know, maybe 150 made, you know, or something like that. But it was a, an exclusive uh, Jaeger, you know, LeCoultre watch. And, uh, and the alarm used to go off. So when I seen this ad, I caught PSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Like, I was there. And I remember uh, in this house in Long Island, uh, you know, where everybody was at when they brought these luggages, these bags filled with, uh, with watches, with these expensive timepieces. And it was fabulous. I mean, it was so, I, was, I was mesmerized because the stuff was so amazing, you know. And I was just collecting stuff, you know, they were giving me a bunch of, uh, you know, watches for me, you know, for my collection. Because I was, you know, taking off the tags, and that's when I started working, you know, uh, taking off the tags off uh, all the merchandise and, and putting it on the scale and, and um, putting it in the book, you know. And I used to do that a lot for the Newsmatics and Philatelistics. And uh, that's when... Mr. Stan used to hit the, those uh, the stamp stores and the and the and the coin collecting you know um, collectors, and I, he used to give me a job. So I used to be there for hours, uh, writing neatly on index cards what the coin was, what year, if it was Roman, if it was Greek, if it was bronze, copper, silver, gold, you know, and to copy the actual grading, you know, if it was flawless, you know. Uh, right. You know, uh, just on the card. I wouldn't touch the coin because the coin would already be in a, in a, in a piece of plastic or, or something protected. And uh, I remember, you know, this is how I learned history, you know, from my stamp collection and from the coin collection. And I'm telling you, if I had this collection today, bro, you, uh, you, uh, Outlaw Radio, everybody in Outlaw Radio, we would be uh, flying around on the G8 anywhere in the world because we would have unlimited amount of money. What happened to that collection? collection? What happened to it? I don't know. It got stolen, man. Everything got stolen. I remember the stamp collection. There was, uh, I think, the, there was a flood. I mean, not, not a flood, but it rained and it came in through the roof. And uh, we had all those, I mean, we had the whole entire Germany, the whole, the whole entire Europe, from beginning to end. Like, every stamp was there. Like, that's crazy. And it, it would mint. So there were priceless. There was a lot of priceless, uh, you know, priceless things there, and it got damaged, water damage, basically. So the only thing you could do today with it is make art, okay? Yeah. And right before, right before I called in, that's exactly what I was doing. I was painting. I was painting a large mural on the canvas. Uh, well, I say mural because it's like uh, 15 feet high, and I was on a scaffold and I was painting and I was thinking about the show today and about how much I evolved. And, and we can take this back all the way to when I was five years old also, because that's exactly what I was doing when I was five years old, painting on a wall, you know? So it's like I came full, full circle, 
you know. And, and, and since my last show, uh, I was 47 and I filled up 48, so I'm 48 years old right now, young, yeah. all right? But I do feel like I'm 80 because of the life that I lived in prison life. Prison life was cold, <laughs> cold. I can say it was cold, yeah. You know, because I was upstate, uh, up north, like Canada. <laughs> yeah, and it was, the windows were all broken and we used to riot and I used to, like, you know, this is what we used to do. Like, you know, I used to, I used to be part of a lot of riots, a lot of gang activity, a lot of everything going on in the prison world, you know? And it's a totally different world compared to the world that we live in here. So it's, it's a like different a, universe. Oh, yeah, basically different universe. And you could actually adapt and survive comfortably, you know, and uh, if you're smart enough to navigate, which maybe one day, you know, I would uh, get together with uh, my uh, my good friends or partners, which uh, surprised. Like I have to work hard because I'm not getting calls to do co collaborations or anything like that. You know, so I need to work. I need to step up my game. So when I was on the scaffold uh, today, uh, thinking about the show, uh, doing my my uh, my art, right, and that's how I zone out. Basically, that's my therapy since I'm young. And that's how I survived prison. Basically, that's how I became famous through, through the artwork, um, which I submerged myself in. And it just reminds me that I have the right talent because I have two eyes, right, two ears, and two arms, thank God. And I can do this shit. So, you know, I, I'm going to step up my art game uh, to a totally different level because I can, you know, and I know I can, and I believe in myself. So I'm going to have people knocking down my door in no time. Yeah, at least so they won't be trying to knock down your door like they did uh, in Florida yeah. there, I think, after you were out of prison when they thought you'd done something you hadn't and they were trying to break your door down. <laughs> oh, my God. Why are you reminding me of bad things? We want to be positive. We want to be positive. Uh, well, we're not you positive. We didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. Officer, you know, it's not me. I didn't do it. Not guilty. But you know what? That's why I'm scared to go outside because if they pop my name up on the computer or if they put my niche, you know, my, my fingerprints on the on the board over there. Oh my God, what's gonna pop up? I'm, I'm scared myself. You know what I mean? Because these guys, they're not gonna know how to handle a guy like, you know? They won't know because it's just overwhelming, you know? Yeah, I got so a question for you. Everything. Now, yeah. after you guys, after you and your dad would do a big heist, even when you were a kid, right? I mean, you did your first major heist when you were like 15 years old. Hold on a second. Before that question, I was going to ask you, is this an expensive question or a cheap question? This is going to be a, an easy question. After a major <laughs> heist, your dad would take you all on vacation. You'd go to uh, Serbia. You'd go to no. Panama. No, no, no. That's not That's not how it happened. My father would never take us on vacation. After all, he would do the heist. But my mom, she's the genius. Opus died. My mom. Yeah. She's the one that would always have a ticket or tickets to a, a destination in St. Thomas, St. Croix, St. Lucia, Venezuela, or any one of these beautiful destinations, you know, in the tropical climate, because, you know, she was friends with people that had uh, agencies, you know, travel agencies and stuff like that. So, you know, she used to get good deals, and we were friends with a lot of people that were, uh, they used to fly, and the pilots and the stewardesses and stuff like that. So, you know, and you remember Sal? Yeah. Sal, Sal Sidnita, my good friend. Yeah, well, we had access to, you know, anywhere in the world, to fly anywhere in the world first class, wherever Pan Am would go. And uh, so my mom was smart enough to uh, coordinate her efforts after a heist uh, to get away and to uh, enjoy life a little bit. And well, I always wondered, my question was, because it was always after a heist, was that like a safety move, just in case something went wrong, you were out of the country? Yeah, nah, yeah, not really. I would like to think so. I mean, people would probably say that, you know, authorities would probably speculate and be like, yeah, that's the reason, but that's not the reason. Uh, the, the whole thing uh, is, you know, I, the way I would believe, if you're leaving the country, you're, you're actually, you know, you're raising awareness because, hey, where are you getting the money to leave? Where you, you know, like, that would, that, I would question it. That's probably why my father didn't want to uh, always, uh, you know, like, he was always pissed for some reason. But he enjoyed the vacation, believe me. You know, he enjoyed, believe me, he loved every minute and second that Bronson would book these flights and vacations and, and, um, and, you know, I guess my mom did it to get me out of being grounded, you know, 
but my father was intelligent enough to brand me in the hotel room, in the luxury hotel room, you know, for me not to go out, and that's even more painful because I'm staring at a tropical climate, you know, beach. Well, I've got a, there's a great and, picture of you pouring your dad some cognac in Panama or someplace. <laughs> no, that was Venezuela. Venezuela. Venezuela? Uh, at this, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that was nice. That was more, that was actually the second time that they went to Venezuela, but uh, they went to see the president of Venezuela. Uh, and this guy was, uh, the, the friend that they had was from our country, Drashko, and he was married to a Venezuelan girl named Manola. And he was an art collector, and he's the curator for the president of, the, of Venezuela at that time, which was Perez, all right? Right. Uh, at that time. And so he's the guy that put all the artwork and all the, you know, all the statues and all the expensive stuff, you know, all that crap he used to put throughout the mansion and the White House of Venezuela. Now, Venezuela was, is, is extremely corrupt. I don't know if you know this or not. Yeah, I think I heard. You have, <laughs> you have, you have, uh, you have uh, rancheros on one side, and you have, uh, like, uh, you know, luxury uh, uh, city on the other side. But at nighttime, when you land with, uh, with the plane, it's always a night flight. I don't know why, but you always land at nighttime. And you see these beautiful lights all over the sea. It looks like Christmas morning. Oh, my God. So beautiful. But when you see it during the day, it's the slum. Like, it's really bad. You know, it's just the light at nighttime. And Venezuela was like this. It's either rich or poor. There's no in between. And, and that's why it was so... Uh, so bad. Well, yeah, yeah the, the, you can't class. have that. Any society that doesn't have a middle class There's is going to no collapse. Class. Yeah, no middle class. Yeah, the, the middle class were rich and the poor were poor, basically. You know, that's what happened over there. You know, and uh, it was just too much. And, uh, well, you see what happened to the to the economy. And they had a thriving economy at one time. They produced beef, cattle. They had leather goods. I mean... Oil. I mean, it's tremendous. I mean, South America. Like, come on, these guys. You know, they have resources. So, uh, and they have the Amazon. You know, so you know, it's just a very beautiful place. Uh, very sad that it's being led by uh, dictators. You know, and anytime you have a dictator, they're going to abuse their dictatorship because the money's too fucking good. Am I right or wrong? You're right. Know. You're right. You know, so yeah, they've been greasing the world for a long time. They had a bunch of regime changes, but. It, it fell. It fell apart, and uh, unfortunately, that's what happened. You know, we have to be smarter. We have to be diligent. You know, and well, one uh, great thing about your dad and your the, the whole cruise that you guys had is you weren't gangsters. You may have been criminals. You may have been outside the law, even though you had willing victims, shall we say? I mean, everyone seemed to be in on it. The people being robbed, the insurance companies, the security companies. You was like. All one big uh, happy family. One big happy family, except for the major case squad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, listen, I can get gangster. I can get gangster. You know, in front of gangsters, I have to get gangster, right? So it's like it all depends. You know. Uh, but you weren't. A, you weren't a gang. There wasn't a hierarchy. Watch this. Let me say. Let me say this. Let me say it the best way possible. If we weren't as strong as we were, we couldn't do the things we were doing. Without anybody, uh, you know, exporting us or, or, or uh, you know, uh, ruling us. Do you understand? So Mr. Stan had such a strong presence, and we had such a strong presence in New York, that they actually needed us. Do you understand? Like, it's like, yes. I don't know how to explain it. We had, we had, we had, we were, we were okay. We had our own strength. We had our own unity and, and the respect was mutually everywhere. Wherever we went, wherever we went, we had people. And it didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if we were on 125th in, uh, on Lennox, that's Harlem. I would know seeing, I would know people that own the beverage company on the corner and the candy store distribution place right there. I know, you know, like, I know a lot of people in a lot of places. In the Bronx, you know, I had my guy, David Sanchez. That guy was connected to everyone. You're going to see a lot of future projects come out. Uh, with the guys from the Bronx, like Carlito's Way and all that stuff, you know, about guys like Boy George, George Rivera, this one guy that had Obsession Crew that, that was in the feds. And this kid was a millionaire at 16 years old, and I remember him. I remember him going to the club, I remember his name. His name rings Buck. And I met many guys 
that had that fashion belt buckle, and that's how they used to identify themselves, because they used to have this belt buckle with the name in it, you know? So, a lot of that, you know. Uh, I mean, I guess he gave presents or something to the lieutenants that were made out of gold, you know? But this guy was very, he was a young guy that was connected to, uh, you know, the, 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 the Chinese car truck. You know, China White. And, and the, he's the one that, uh, he had these contacts, and they actually gave him rhythm, and this kid took it to the moon and made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars with the drug trade in the South Bronx and everywhere else. But then he gets knocked and goes to prison, and he's still in jail. And I'm talking about this. This is like a story from 1987, 88, 89, you know. So he went away early. I remember, he went away early, and he was still young when he went away. And, uh, and he's been in jail ever since, you know. And he was sentenced for the 848. That's the, you know what they call that? 848 Kingpin charge. Kingpin. The kid was a 16-year-old king, king, a Kingpin. There you go. 848 for drugs. And so, you know, so they keep, they're going to keep him in there forever unless the, unless the law changes. And uh, that's what I'm saying. The prison, the whole prison, uh, the broken system of prison and the courts, is, it needs to be, uh, it needs to be updated. It needs to be renewed because the laws are fucking ancient pirate laws, you know, from, from, from the 1700s, right? You know, before America's only 240, uh, how many, 246 years old? Am I right? Yeah. United States of America? How old is it, Mark? 1776. But uh, we didn't win the war until, what, 79? Like 246, 247 years. That's it. Because I remember... My father used to always tell me when I was a young kid, America's only 200 years old. You know, so... Uh, one thing I want to make clear, you were talking about when you were younger, you kept your eyes open and your ears open. You know, yeah. I don't want people to think that you were like a punk on the streets. Your family was already wealthy when you were a kid. Yeah, but no, not, not, not everybody knew this. You see what I mean? We kept it very silent. Like, nobody knew what we did or how we did it. or It was very few. Uh, the circle was extremely small, you know. Uh, mostly the people that would know us would be other mobsters, you know, and other criminals. Uh, I mean, that were part of other crews and stuff like that. And and then European in Europe. In Europe, we're, we're notorious. I mean, I mean, they, they tell me I'm a walking legend in Europe. I don't know, you know, but... They well, tell I me think in 19, 1992, yeah. you and your dad went to Europe... You kind of had a, yeah. a, a conference, a conference of yeah, criminals. The, the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. I, it was like a line, a line of uh, of gangsters kissing my father's diamond pinky ring. Like I never seen no shit like that in my life. So it was a movie. You know, it was amazing. That must have been pretty amazing to see the, the yeah, amount of reverence the criminals had for your father. Only, <laughs> right. Only reason I'm saying this is because we're not even going to get to that part anyway. That's so much. Like, we have so much uh, content and so many years because what are, you, what are we talking about? 50 years? You know, over here? We got like 50 years at least, you know, about content and, uh, or more. <laughs> you know, I'm scared. I'm scared uh, how much content we have. And, uh, all I'm saying is this that, you know, today, uh, I, I'm just excited to be part of an amazing crew, you know. And uh, the only person that I feel that I could visualize it the way I visualize it is, is, uh, is my brother, you know, my little, my little brother, Sean, you know, from Larry Cake, because he's, uh, he's, a New York, he's from New York, born, bred, and raised in New York, and on the streets of New York, so he knows. He's the only one that could, that could help me with this, you know, and help tell in the way... You know, I like like Burl. Yeah. You know, I love you. I love you. But you're from Walla Walla, Washington. That's you know, right. Home of Walla Washington State Penitentiary. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, but there's something about New York that has a swagger to it. There's something about, I don't know what it is. I really don't know. It's not that we're better. Not that we're better. It's you just know, different. I, 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 I. It's not that. It's not that. It's just that, um... It's just a different, it's a different vibe. You know, Amongst way, cities of the world, it's scene. one, it's just unique. That's why they say New York Minute. And New York Minute is actually a real thing. It's 56 uh, seconds or something like that, you know? Uh, it's a little, you know, like four seconds or six seconds faster than an actual minute. Uh, you know, we, 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 we skip a few heartbeats because uh, New York City moves extremely rapidly. And you have to be aware. 
So those two eyes and those two ears, while my mother was raising me, you know, going from galleries, because she was an artist, right? And she was uh, an art teacher, going to museums. I absorbed all You know, I absorbed the graffiti and the violence and, the, and all the stuff that happened in between that, too. In the 70s, it was extremely, <clears throat> how can I say? New York City, although you remember uh, New York City, yeah, uh, and Howard. God, I mean, God bless his soul. Howard would would help us out with this. Um, but New York City in the seventies and early seventies was, was extremely bad. It was like Venezuela. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, you had rich and poor. That's it. And uh, you know, and my mother remembers this. You know, it was basically, uh, you know, she's scared that it might come back to it again. And, and when you talk about areas like the Bronx, oh my God, the South Bronx, it was practically burnt down. You know, everything was burnt out, and it was just that. And uh, but we recovered from that. We, rec- we recovered from that, and uh, and as I said, you know, there's hope. There's hope, and uh, and I'm just glad that I come from that school of hard knocks, and I learned, you know, how to grow. You know, and, and still be alive today because I'm so grateful. You know, especially being in the system that long. Am I right or wrong, bro? I mean, well, yeah, you're lucky. Like, you're lucky to be alive, and you're lucky to be as spiritual yeah. as you are. Oh yeah, forget about it. If I hate, if I had hate in my heart, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have time in the day to do the things I want to do. You know, because as I said, um, you know, a lot of things happen to a lot of people. You know, I'm just glad that I could, uh, I have a few platforms that I could, uh, you know, showcase a story or cooperate a story or, or um, you know, because if I was there, you know, and I seen it, or if I was part of something, uh, maybe my voice uh, counts for something, you know, because as a witness, you know, advisor maybe, you know, or something, you know, because a lot of people claim that they know things and that they're experts, and they fail to do their homework. They fail to study, to do research. And once you do read, and that's exactly what my father, Mr. Stan, taught me all the time, is that whatever you do, do it better than anyone else. Do your research. Yeah, you I was also told that if you're Jewish, you better do it better than anybody else because <laughs> if you've you got two strikes against you, just starting off in an anti-Semitic society. Are you shitting? How about this? I heard... That if you come from uh, a Jewish, a religious Jewish background, family, right, mother, father, and you become uh, anything else other than a rabbi, like if you become a successful lawyer or a plastic surgeon, you're like almost spat at, you're shunned. It is true or false? Because you have you didn't become a rabbi. Yeah, uh, that's only muggly Meshuggah Orthodox. <laughs> well, that used to be like that, and a lot of Jews came like that from Europe, you know, to New York City. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you know yeah. how many gangsters were Jews? Yeah. Nobody knows about I'm, I'm, Nobody talks about Mayor Lansky. Yeah. Oh, uh, Once uh, Upon a Bugsy Time in America. Bugsy Siegel. Yeah. Bugsy Siegel. Uh, Punch. Uh, these guys were legendary. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in America. You ever see that one? Yeah, we should remake. Oh, of course I've seen it. Uh, uh, yeah, I love those. I love those. You know what? That's the New York history. I love everything that has to do with New York and Chicago, you know, L.A. You had Mickey Cohen. Wait, Mickey Cohen was a Jew? Yeah. In L.A.? Yep. There you go. He was dangerous. So you had a lot of dangerous, uh, you know, a lot of dangerous Jews that were up and coming smart, smart, and uh, they knew the books. And uh, they both hand in hand. And it hasn't been talked about. More so, uh, it was more Italian, you know, Sicilian, Napolitano. We used to always talk about how great criminals these guys are. But... You know, so I think we should do some recaps. and, and do Well, some there, we did have a guest on the show that was saying that the first uh, mafia in America was actually started in New Orleans, and it was Jewish. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I wonder if they spoke French, if they spoke French over there. Uh, it's interesting to like note, Punch, that um, yeah. from, say, around 1910... Uh, the the large Jewish immigration from Europe, uh, either Ashkenazi from the Russian Polish border, um, or Sephardic, yeah, or the Sephardic, they 
uh, a significant portion settled in Louisiana. Wow, I see. I didn't know that. Yes, because that's where that's where my family went. Okay. When they got when they got out of Ellis Island, uh, there was already family uh, in uh, suburbs uh, outside outskirts of. of New Orleans, I heard, like Berwick, for are, are example. Are they called Southern Jews? Are they really called the Southern Jews? Like those I, I don't know that for a fact, because I never yeah. heard anyone in the family say that. But, um, yeah. yeah, my my, uh, right. my entire okay. father's side of the family ended up in Berwick before they uh, moved off to other parts of the world. And we had my uh, distant cousin or close cousin, whatever you, Sergio, on the last week uh, from Mexico City. They wound up in Mexico... Because they had their, either they were going to send them for, uh, to some hellhole, <laughs> Salvador, or right. someplace, or Mexico yeah, City. So they wound up in Mexico City. Huh. A lot of a lot of Jews wound up in Mexico City. And so there's a very yeah. strong uh, uh, Orthodox presence uh, in the outskirts of New Orleans. Well, you know that's interesting. You know, and this is why I really uh, appreciate uh, participating uh, in shows like yours because. You know, uh, you, 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 you touch on some historical um, aspects that's extremely rare and hard to find today. Mm. You know, as we all come from somewhere. Mm. And, uh, you know, and we all have to be proud of who we are, you know, as, uh, you know, that's important for our, uh, for our soul, you know, and uh, for our own recognition. But what I'm saying is that I learned from the Jews on 47th Street. And... Uh, extremely shrewd, extremely wise, and they don't mess with the outside. And I was given this chance and opportunity, and my father was so upset that I ruined a few of those. Because, you know, I was given diamonds. I was given, you know, uh, I'm talking about starting 50 carats of diamonds. That was the first package. And uh, it, it continued to grow to 300 carats, to 1,000 carats, and, you know, and, and, I was getting huge parcels on the arm. And that's rare, you know, because I don't have a kippa. You know, I'm not spiritual. I'm not religious. I don't go to, you know, I don't do services. I don't do Shabbat. I don't do anything. I was, you know, I was a criminal. And I robbed Jews. That's exactly what I do. You know, I robbed them, you know. And uh, I was bad. Yeah, most of them were in on it, Punch. Well, yeah. Well, they were, of course. Listen, as I said, there's, look. <laughs> I don't, you know, if you, my father told me about holy men. He explained the whole thing about holy men. And I'm not going to tell that version now, uh, or I don't even know if I'm ever going to tell it. But he just explained to me something that opened my eyes up. Uh, that, uh, you know, because you can't have another man with more power than the other. You know, how can I say I, 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 I can't translate it. It's in Serbian. Uh, I'll figure it out, you know, uh, I'll, I'll get it to you. But it's, it's, you can never give somebody too much power, mm-hmm. you know. If they don't have, if, they don't, if they're not better than you, you know what I mean? If they don't have uh, a better, uh, you know, better... What my father would call sacro. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like a scam, you know, like a scam. Don't pull the wool over my eyes, basically. You know, so, uh, you know, when, when we talk about spirituality, I'm a spiritual person. Thank you for saying that. But if you say if I'm religious, no, absolutely not. I don't like religion. I believe religion is man-made, and, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not for it. But well, I'll tell you, here's something to think about, Punch. The word religion means to reunite. And if it doesn't bring people together in a peaceful, <laughs> harmonious way, it's not re-legion, to bring together again. To reunite. Yeah, okay, that's, that's, you see, I listen and learn, and uh, I think, Hashem, that I always learn something new every single day. And that's because I have those two years in mind. Thank you, thank you. Do you know the lesson that I've learned? I don't know, do we have some more time? Because I have one more that I want, I want we to have five, We really have five important. minutes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah? Okay. Um, there was, there was uh, the only thing that I learned that animalistic in a man's, in a man's, uh, on a man's body is his tongue. Because his tongue is just like any animal on the earth. They bow down to the earth. You see, you notice every animal has all fours, you know, to the floor. You know, they bow mm-hmm. down. Their heads are down. Uh, 
we are divine, and we walk erect, and ours are to the heavens. Our heads are to the sky, right? Right. So what I want to say is that the only thing that's dangerous is our tongue because it's the same thing as the animal on the earth, and it belongs in a cage. And you see we have a cage, which, are, which is our teeth, and then we have a hermetic seal, a double seal, you know, because we have to be careful, very careful what comes out of our tongues, out of our, out of our mouths. That's right. That That's what Jesus said, as a matter of fact. It's not what goes into your body that pollutes it, but what comes out of your mouth. Out of your tongue. Because, uh, oh, if they were only made of glass, how careful we would be, you know, how one would be, you know, how, how we talk. And that's, that's just a lesson that I picked up a long time ago, and I live and learn by this, and I, and I, and I love this. And I, and, I, and I always remember, uh, you know, you always have to protect that animal that's caged because sometimes you want to say something, you know, and when you do, it's too late. Yeah. So that's why. Loose lips sink ships. <laughs> you like that? You like that analogy? I love it. I mean, yeah. that's, and, good. And that's I love a good all one. you guys, you know, and, and thank you for having this platform. You know, because as I said, we get to talk about true crime and about all the goodies and all the good stuff that we did in the past that we can talk about today. And, you know, and I get to, uh, you know, praise Bull Bear legend. And I get to give thanks to, uh, you know, to everyone that supports me, which is my mom. And I love your mom. She's a good dancer, too. Stop that. Oh, she's amazing. Do you know where that saying comes from, Burl? What saying? Loose, Loose lips. From World War II. Incorrect. No? No, it comes from the Spanish Armada of the English Channel. Really? Yes, the uh, Spanish were going to attack. And the night before the attack, some of the uh, officers uh, and sailors from the Spanish fleet went into town and got something to drink. Oh, they got drunk and blabbed, huh? The more they talked. And the more they talked, the more the British knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's why the British, greatly outnumbered, were able to defeat them. Amazing. And that's where the saying comes from. Learn something new every day. Isn't that I amazing? Love, I love this. I love this. This is, uh, I love history. And, uh, and as I said, history always repeats itself. And we must learn from history. History is an important teacher. And I love it. And thank you, man. Thank you for this. This is uh, hey, You know what? You keep great. saying you haven't, you haven't read your own book. I got to get you a new copy of it. <laughs> You know, volume one. You can get your stories. co-host a copy too. I wanna, I wanna talk to you about something, bro. I got a few stories that I wanna see if we could uh, publish and then uh, put together you know, something totally different, uh, something that uh, like a passion project of mine, you know. Sure. Uh, and, you know, and, but one thing, maybe hopefully we get the chance to travel the world, you know, and go to all these locations, uh, you know, where they had the pink panties and the yaks and all these uh, genius any criminals, ones that I knew, ones that I don't know, ones that know me, you know, and uh, and, and I would love to, to see if I could uh, get some guys on interview, you know, and put them on camera and sure. see if, uh, you know, we get some, we get, get some of their stories. Uh, get them while we can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, all, I'm, all I want to say is that we're working very, very hard here, and uh, we're going to continue to work hard, and, uh, there's nothing to it. There's nothing to it. When you have something good, there's nothing to it. Okay, we, we gotta go. Time's up. It's always a pleasure to have you, Butch. We love having you on the show. I'll talk to you in person on the phone real soon, okay, Punch? Thank you. Pearl. What? What's next? A magic Matt Allen, the demon of decadence, which is you. There's not everybody else is brave enough to show up. Broman, and we got Matt and Lori. Matt and Lori. Group. Oh, amazing, but true. Yeah, yeah, we we have plenty, Burl. Oh, good. We have plenty of folks. Good. I'm happy to hear that. All, all total, about uh, 300 percent more than you have.